Greetings and welcome. Thank you to each and every listener for joining me today for my podcast on What Brings You In. My name is Bradley Wank, and I am an aspiring mental health counselor here to promote mental health awareness, discuss mental health topics, and spread some positive energy. Today is a very special episode, as I am joined by Erica Jane Delquist, who is a licensed mental health counselor, a national certified counselor, and a certified neurolinguistics counselor, and very much a mentor of mine. I was lucky enough to complete my undergraduate internship with EJ at Creative Counseling Solutions located in Palm Harbor, Florida. Today, we will be discussing what it's like to go into counseling from both the perspective of being a client and also from being a counselor. We are also going to talk about how to find a therapist, what to expect from a session, and why mental health stigma exists, and ways to promote and manage your own mental health in your everyday life. I am recording today with the CoLab Studios in Clearwater, Florida, and as always, I want to thank Christina, Tyler, and the rest of the wonderful staff who makes this podcast come to life. This episode is titled, Let's Talk About It with a Counselor. Before we get started, as always, the views, information, or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of the individuals involved and by no means represent, represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and guests can change at any time. At times, this podcast may cover sensitive topics, and we ask you refrain from listening if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, the producer, the host, nor the guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or any other reaction. I am not a licensed mental health counselor, and this podcast should not be used to substitute for actual mental health support. EJ and I both recognize and respect the confidentiality of clients. Therefore, no specific names will be given if we do discuss relevant cases. Documentation was signed between myself and EJ to discuss aspects of my own mental health journey. All right, guys. So at this point, if you are a continued listener, you know so much of what we have discussed in this podcast has revolved around the different areas in mental health where stigma is present. So today we're going to talk about why the stigma exists and how we can or how this does actually kind of hinder our overall mental health awareness. I knew when I came up with this episode, there was no one better to talk to than EJ. EJ has worked in the human services and mental health field for over 14 years. So she has definitely witnessed her fair share of stigma. Some of the areas of mental health where EJ has worked has been in recovery from sexual trauma, domestic violence and abuse, addictions and 12-step work, chronic pain and illness, cancer recovery, anxiety, depressive disorders, pregnancy and postpartum care, grief and loss, sexuality and gender identity, work among children and families, and in many of these cases, she also included applications of expressive art therapies. EJ, thank you so much for being here today. Wow. Thank you. What an intro. <laughs> I always try. You know, I mean, we've got all of these things to talk about and you come from a very extensive line of mental health. I mean, because there's so many avenues you can take once you do become licensed, you can go out, you can be certified in so many different areas. So before we kind of dive into anything, you know, can you give us a little bit of your background or tell us about what made you go into the mental health field? Sure. And wow, those are two totally different tracks. So, you know, I always like to laugh when someone asks me about what led me into this field. And the truth is, it's it's my own trauma. And mm -hmm. it was my own probably wayward self in life. And I had such a, a gift of being in therapy early. Uh, I would say early as a young adult. Right. Not right. early as a child. Right. And I had uh, such a wonderful counseling experience. And I just thought, oh, this this might there might be something here. Mm -hmm. But to back up a little bit, you know, I've always had a helping profession drive. I, whether I was, you know, really young in school volunteering, mm -hmm. I was always doing service projects or heading up service projects. And right. I, I think I got that from my parents. They were really involved in community and helping right. and Oh my gosh, my mom would always bring home stray people, stray pets. Like we were just <laughs> right. like the house. that household. Yeah, yeah. we just yeah. we were there. So I saw that in action, mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a big a big part of it. Even though in growing up in my childhood, we still had a lot of dysfunction and a lot of things to overcome. Right. There was still that idea of being connected in community. Um, and when I look back in my family, when they were connected, we were the healthiest. Gotcha. Gotcha. Know? Right. So right. 
part of my my schooling, I had a hard time with undergrad. I thought I was actually going to go into deaf education. So oh, wow. Okay. I was in sign language class at Flagler College, which is up by the deaf school in mm-hmm. St. Augustine, beautiful campus. Mm-hmm. And my sign language teacher, also advisor, pulled me aside and said, are you sure this is a good fit? You know, <laughs> I said, no, it's not. And I was crying and I was yeah. kind of a mess. And I was involved in a lot of things, had a lot of fun, probably was surfing too much on the beach. Right, yeah. And ended up transferring, coming home, and I went, I lived at home, which is Sarasota, Florida, Manatee mm-hmm. County, right on the line in there. Mm-hmm. And I went to an advisor, and I took all my transcripts, kind of a mess. This is, will date how old I am. It was back when you had a catalog and a pencil, <laughs> right. and you chose your classes, and you wrote them with a pencil, and yeah. you could erase them. You yeah. Know, it wasn't digital. Exactly. And I said, what's the quickest thing I can do with what I've already done to, to complete this AA and, and do something? Mm-hmm. And she came back and said, psychology and art. Oh, I okay. Said, what? That sounds amazing. Okay, yeah. 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 So I took some classes, finished, did well, um, and then really thought I was on the art track, the formal okay. art track, and had transferred up to Agnes Scott College in Atlanta or Decatur, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Wonderful school. And I had great professors there who really saw that social justice piece in me. Mm-hmm. And they had a program called Religion and Social Justice, but they let me self-design classes. So oh, wow. I was working in a refugee resettlement community. Wow. And I just found art as a connective piece. I had 12 to 14 languages in one classroom at mm-hmm. the time, um, refugees from all over the world. Okay. And of course, I didn't know I was doing a therapeutic approach at the time, but I was finding a way that we could all connect, we could all heal, we right. could, you know, everybody was so dysregulated. That's before I even knew what those words meant. You right, know? right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mess. Exactly. So I learned a lot there. And so although my, I always tell clients when they come in and they have kind of that shame story about education, I'm like, it's going to count. Mm-hmm. Whatever you've done or haven't done, it's still going to lead you somewhere amazing right right you know? it's still an experience it's still a story it's part of your story right you know everyone has some sort of I mean even you know let's say traditionally if the idea is you graduate high school and then you go on you get a four-year degree you might even go on beyond that yeah. um, there were still challenges there even right. for people where it might have worked out that way for those individuals so right there's always yeah it's always we're always telling our story in different ways. Yeah, and getting to see like where we did get sidetracked, maybe those stops along the way meant more than we knew they were going to mean. Right. You know, yeah. and that that was the case with me. So, some things that happened in there, some traumatic things that I overcame, which led me into a deeper dive into therapy myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And along that therapeutic healing is where I thought maybe I do want to. Um, become a counselor. Right. You know, and just a a side note in there, when I graduated with my BA, I was working for Big Brothers Big Sisters in Mm -hmm. Sarasota County. I was a field-based caseworker, so kind of like a bachelor level Mm -hmm. uh, helping profession. I had 26 schools on my caseload. I had to see all these kids within a 30-day period. It was just nuts. And my boss at the time, a really sweet lady, probably mm-hmm. about to retire. Mm-hmm. And then she got me and I was just this mess, you know. <laughs> and she would sit down with me and she'd say, EJ, you know, you know everything about all your clients, but your notes are a mess. Mm-hmm. Like, you just have to refer them. You just have to link the service. And I and I would tell her, yeah, but you have to know what's going on with them. And I, <laughs> you know, and, and she said, have you ever thought about going back to school to become a counselor? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I could never be the therapist. And the same thing happened ongoing. Like I would be in these helping roles where I wasn't the clinical professional. Okay. But it would, there was that desire to know people's story. Right. And that, that is something I have maintained, I think throughout my whole profession is that curiosity to know people. Right. And to know what it's like as a day in the life of them. Right. Right. So I did that go on to graduate school and, you know, all those years, there was a, a lot of stuff happened in life in there, but I was really excited. And when I graduated, I landed a, a fully paid internship at the public defender's office in Clearwater. Mm-hmm. And I got to work in their jail, jail diversion program. Okay. It's a pilot program. And it was really amazing. We, we proved through cost, effectiveness, we could re- reduce recidivism oh, wow. by giving them counseling, medication, a bus pass, a meal, a place right. to stay, treatment in some cases. All of that costs less than jail. 
Right. So we were really seeing the effects of criminalizing mental health. Profound. It was. Yeah. And here I am in this office of like 80 something attorneys Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing all their stressors and you've been to my office, the candles Mm -hmm. and the soft lighting. (laughs) And these attorneys would be racing with these, you know, huge stacks of charts and files and they'd walk past my office and go what's there's gonna be music and tea <laughs> and I'd, I'd invite them in in between clients right. and ask them if they wanted tea so i saw oh, that it nice. wasn't just like yeah like the indigent clients it was also these well-educated attorneys that mental health was mental health and right things started to click like oh wow right there's a lot of the issues that are the same once we get our basic needs met gotcha gotcha well that's so cool so then what made you go into private counseling? Mm -hmm. So from the public defender's office, I had some opportunities. I actually got to work at Moffitt Cancer Center and their healing arts program, which was just amazing. I I got to work with people um, facing pretty serious diagnosis treatments, and I got to provide both studio art and bedside um, Mm -hmm. work, working in conjunction with the social workers. And I also worked at a treatment center, uh, private residential uh, for drug and alcohol and trauma. Mm-hmm. And I, I, n- I never really had the dream to become a counselor again. It kind of just, it was there, you know, mm-hmm. when I look back at that constellation of all those things. And I never had the dream to open my own place. Like a lot of therapists I've met, they're like, oh, I always wanted this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, really? I, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. 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 But I I love it. So from doing all those things, I started to see gaps in the system. And Mm -hmm. because I'm so relational, I wanted to be able to build relationships in my own community and connect my own clients with a a, a safe psychiatrist that I trusted or a holistic practitioner, if that was the route. Or I, I wanted to be able to wrap around and do these things. And I'm also a mom, and my mm. most important job is being a mother. And I really thought building a practice w- would be able to translate better into a working mom's right. life. Right, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's amazing. Incredible. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, you've had, you. so, you've had so many opportunities in different avenues. And that's one of the things I think really comes into your work, and it speaks for what you do. And, you know, there was a couple of things as you were talking, um, like good points, because we're kind of going, sometimes I really do script these things to kind of ask specific questions. But I think with you and I and just how we function, I really just wanted this to be as we go along. And, you know, one of the things we really want to talk about with this podcast is stigma. So I think to kind of, you know, get this rolling, I would say, you know, what would, how would you describe mental health stigma? Oh, gosh, there's there's so many different ways. I think the, the most important thing is it's just a barrier, right? It's, okay. a, it's a blockage to help. Right. It's, it's going to run interference. And for different populations, that stigma is going to be different things. Like, for example, I might work with pilots who have incredible health insurance and benefits, mm-hmm. and they don't want... Uh, they want closed charts, off-the-books, cash pay. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I do everything HIPAA-compliant. But I'm saying their stigma is mm-hmm. that they won't be able to be reputable in their career. Right, yeah. But when I was working as a second responder, mental health with families in our community right here mm-hmm. who are maybe facing domestic violence or food scarcity, mm-hmm. their stigma might be, you're going to remove my child if you look in my kitchen cabinets. Right, right. right. So right. stigma, I think, for everybody is that shame, that link to shame. hmm And, you know, I really love being able to identify those shame spirals and those cycles and being able to work through that and normalize, hey, anyone in this position would be scared to have those cabinets opened or or what you're telling me disclosed to your superiors. We always have a way of thinking the situation is worse for us than what it might actually be. And I think a lot of people will go into that place and that's where shame becomes exactly that barrier that you're talking about. and. Everybody feels it. I mean, it's yeah. it's amazing. We once discussed a situation, you know, it doesn't matter what your your income level is. It doesn't matter what your your career projection is. It doesn't matter right. any of it. I mean, everybody has it. You know, we discussed once we talked about a home that you were in and it was a very wealthy home and they had some of the same problems as impoverished people and That's individuals true. living in communities where mental health stigma is just as present there right. as what it is in the other. So 
I always say, and we've talked about it in a couple of episodes, is just talking about it really is one of the only ways that we can combat the stigma. Because the more we make it aware, the more we discuss it, the more honest we are about it, I think the more we can help people or a broader range of people. Right. You know, we never know who's listening. Yeah. And one of the most I talked about in a, another episode too, a little bit of my own mental health journey. And I didn't know what to expect in that first session. I didn't know where it was going to go. And if you recall, it was a lot of word vomit, uh, to use a, a mean girl's reference, as I always will. Um, but it was just, I, you know, you come in and you're thinking about your whole life mm -hmm. and you just start to spew everything at once. And it was and a moment here. Um, if you haven't picked up on it, EJ was my counselor at one time. And we will go into that about maintaining counseling relationships because right. we had a beautiful start to finish journey. And now we're continuing it into a professional relationship. Right. And we are so lucky to be able to do that. But with that, we can go back and we really can dive into some of those aspects because in that same way that I was having those doubts and I was having those concerns and questions, um, I think a lot of people who have never gone to counseling before or even people who have gone to counseling and have had negative experiences are going to be very hindered by continuing that relationship or trying to start another one. So let's take, take it back a bit and talk about what would you say to somebody who has never gone into counseling before? Maybe they're considering it. What, what would you tell them off the bat? you kind of expect or so right. on. Well, the first thing I, I would commend them for even being curious, knowing that they deserve wellness, right? right. Because it's a lot of us don't even believe we might think this is for someone else or mm -hmm. other people can go, you know, we, we could have a whole nother podcast episode on yeah. the political, you know, climate exactly. of, of stigma and therapy and accessibility and all of that. But what I would say is to remember you have rights. Okay. You absolutely have rights. You're no different if you went in and you weren't you were uncomfortable at a dentist office or the receptionist felt right. We're intuitive right. beings, right? And I think we have to listen to that internal compass, right? And a lot of times we think that everyone else is going to be an expert on mm. us and mm -hmm. our healing. And the truth is, you really want a therapist who one has gone to therapy. Yeah, I would ask those questions. Yeah, two has trauma training, mm -hmm. right? Because what we know now is. Trauma is everywhere and we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and if we don't have a good trauma-trained therapist, we could be more vulnerable. We don't want to be opened up to that. Uh, opened up, I guess, in a way that would be too wounding and then not have a skilled professional to close you back up. Because yeah. we still have to go and drive our car and open our mail and pay exactly. our bills and feed our dog and do our things. Right. right? And those sessions go very quick. Yes. So. Yeah. So the other thing I would say is you know, do your research and mm -hmm. ask around and and look at reputable sites like say, Psychology Today is great. Yeah. Word of mouth is good, mm -hmm. especially since breaking the stigma is a part of this conversation. Right. I've got great managers that I work with in the corporate setting that they're normalizing in their staff check-ins. Hey, mm -hmm. remember we have EAP, get your counseling sessions and like, right. So it's a right. just talk about it. And mm -hmm. then Listen in your community who is talking about therapy. Ask mm -hmm. them. Go have coffee with them or right. find out what what they did. But, you know, the biggest thing is trust your gut, right? Mm -hmm. If you go in and feel unsafe, mm -hmm. it, it might be for a reason. It might not be a good fit for you. Right. And we've talked about it, too, you know, and I think I've said this on another episode, but it is in the same way that you were talking, you know, if you go into a doctor's office and you need a second opinion or you don't get along with you're actually a realtor or a, a lawyer or whatever it might be. I mean, as yeah. a client, we would say as a client, you know, you have that right to to find the right fit. Yes. And you kind of have that responsibility to yourself. And exactly, your gut is always your best friend. And yeah. if you can't come to terms with what your gut is telling you, then maybe it is time to look elsewhere. And it's okay yeah. to terminate those relationships. And honestly, the counselor should be prepared for that too. If there's no, I always, I have a friend and I can say this. Um, I know we've talked about her before. My um, Kardashian friend is what I will say. <laughs> and she's constantly just one of those that I, it's every time that I've listened to her, I try to come up with a new angle and I'm not therapizing her. I'm not to that point, but I, and I wouldn't anyway, because I'm too close <laughs> to her. But in my head, I've always thought if I had her as a client, what would I, 
wh- how would I handle this situation? And it, it actually, I would bring this into the classroom right. and I would try to think of different ways that I could do. And, and there's just something about the way that her and I were great friends. But if it were down to that point, the responsible thing to do would be to terminate the relationship because right. there is no, there's nothing effective that's coming from yeah. the the relationship. And every time I try to get into something and try to you know, give some concrete, get in and it's totally sideswiped and it's put off to the side. She takes what I'm saying and she uses it as a way to talk more about the situation. She doesn't really want to help herself. Right. And sometimes those are the, and, and that's just one of many different situations that right. you can come across where, Hey, maybe we don't, this doesn't work. So let's go. Well, you're also addressing a really important point is readiness, right? Mm-hmm. Like being w- willing to go and wanting to go are, are really important steps. Meaning, Am I ready to do this? So when I say in, intuit, like that comfort, it's still going to be awkward, right? Like I don't yes. want listeners to think it's not going to be awkward. Just right. driving there and pulling in and right. walking into the lobby. And, you know, and I know we also have a lot of telehealth right now. And sometimes that's awkward, clicking the link. Oh, and yeah. Checking the camera. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but I had an amazing, amazing professor in grad school. And he said the balance is, you know, we want to comfort the disturbed but we also want to disturb the comfortable. Oh, okay. And so in the beginning, you know, you want to feel comfort. Mm-hmm. Why? You're building rapport. You're building safety. And and it's such a compliment to me that you could come in and word vomit. Yeah. Because to me, that felt like, okay, you felt safe. You, right. You, your intuition said, this is a place I can unload. Right. And I'll be all right. 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 Yeah. Well, so, it was a very comfortable office. So. Thank you. <laughs> So that, you know, that safety is there. So listening to that intuition, but I don't want to send the wrong message to that. You won't be, you won't be completely comfortable either. Right. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah. And it was funny that you bring that up because when you changed offices after our first session. So it was funny because the first office was a little confusing how to get in there because it was part of uh, a couple different medical offices. And I remember it was early in the morning and I'm not a morning person. And so not only was I getting up, not only was I just, blech, okay. but then I get those stomach issues and I was like, okay. oh God, I was like, this is like the last thing I want to do. Um, and then I, it took me a while to find it. And I was like, just, just get back in the car and just turn around like this. Just, this isn't worth it. I'll, I'll apologize or something. Um, and just, it's funny to think now, like how far Yes. I, I mean, how different my life would have been if I would have gotten back in the car. I, but always, I always forget you started on Tiny Couch. Remember I did tiny? start on Tiny Couch. Yeah, tiny couch. it was. It, w- it was. Uh, what did you say? It was like Wayfair. Yeah, it was like so a was mistake like a on Wayfair. House. Yeah, I measured wrong. And... <laughs> and, and I'm a very tall, big man. So, yeah, that it was fun. It was cute. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. So but funny. it is funny to take it back and to think about that. And for anybody who ever has those moments, just go with it because yeah. you don't know. And um, I know I shared with you my first counseling experience, and I did tell listeners I would share this story later, was yeah. just it wasn't the best experience. I was on campus, and I went to a school counselor. And so I didn't do my research. I actually don't know. I, I would assume that they're licensed counselors, or I don't know if they're maybe in their intern training, or maybe they're getting their hours. Um, but there was a point where I just felt uncomfortable. The questions for a first session were probably not knowing what I know now, definitely not what should have been asked. Um, I was trying to come out of the closet and I wanted to know, you know, like, how do we, how should I gauge this or how should I, you know, bring this up to my parents? And some of the questions in that first session became very sexualized very quickly. Mm. Um, You know, how many partners have you had? How often are you using protection and things that I just didn't really understand why they were being asked. Um, And he happened to be another gay man. So I thought that would be a good fit because he would probably have some sort of experience he could share and it just felt uncomfortable. So I remember just not going back and it really um, kind of tarnished what my philosophy was towards counseling. I was like, oh, yeah, that one time I went, it got weird. So there are times where and it's just funny looking back, I'm like, I should have maybe I mean, I'm not going to go back and say what I should or should not have done. Everything works out for a reason. But it is just one of those things where it's like, if it doesn't work, then you figure something else out. Right. And I think it's courageous that you, you did go back, you know, but I my heart breaks for that interim time where you weren't you were seeking help. And, and, you know, the safety issues important, like, Mm -hmm. we we have to watch that. Right, Um, right. Because again, therapists are people. Exactly. And 
hopefully they're a well therapist, that they're practicing self-care, that they're taking good care of themselves. But, you know, if they're not, that that's just as dangerous as we don't want to, I don't want a cardiologist who's stepping out to chain smoke on them. Yeah, you know, like right, we, we, right, we want right. we want well people helping us be well. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a good, that's a yeah. good point to, to bring up. So for people um, who are looking to go into counseling, what are some things that they can expect in the first session typically? Right. So that's a, that's a great question. Kind of paint, paint the picture. And there's all, I also forgot to say there's all different types of counselors. Now there's a lot of different modalities out there. And I would say to encourage people not to get too overwhelmed by those things. Um, Most of the time we don't need to know all of that, but sometimes clients will say, I really want DBT or CBT. Mm -hmm. So that tells me they've done their research. Right. But I would say, you know, you're, your counselor is probably going to send you a link to fill out some paperwork. Mm -hmm. And that's a good time for you to kind of focus in on what do I want to unpack? What Mm -hmm. maybe I'm coming for a very specific current issue at work, or maybe I really want to address some childhood trauma I have never dealt with, or I'm getting married or I'm going through a life transition or so thinking about what, what are you looking for that supportive collaborative relationship to help you through mm-hmm. and be clear with that in your paperwork. Right. And, and even if you're not clear, that's a, having an idea. Right. Right. So a good therapist, and I've heard horror stories, yeah. a good therapist will have read that paperwork uh, before. They'll have thought about interacting with you. And hopefully they've even strategically for the next session placed you in their calendar at a good time. Like I'm not going to put um, two severely depressed people back to back. That's really draining for the clinician. I want to be fresh. I want to be assertive. I want to be on my game. Exactly. For my clients. Right. So that first session might just happen where you got the opening. Mm -hmm. What I would say is depending on the type of therapy, it might not be a formal assessment like you would think. Right. Because you filled out enough paperwork. Some therapists take notes. Sometimes in the beginning I take a little notes. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I don't. It just depends Mm -hmm. on how my brain is working that week. (laughs) Um, but everybody's a little bit different. What I would say is your takeaway for the first session is probably going to be, I don't know, anticlimactic. You're not going to get what you want from yeah. that first session. And that's a really good point is that counseling takes a lot of time. Yes. A lot of time. A lot of time. It's not a, you're going to go in, you're going to talk for an hour and then you're magically going to be feeling better about whatever your underlining issue is, you know, right. or you're going to have an answer or a solution. And a lot of times the solutions or answers are going to be much different from what you might have in, right. in your mind. Because I remember going in and I was like, wait, we didn't even talk about what I thought we were <laughs> going to talk about because we didn't need to, right. you know, and that was what it was. That was what was coming out was right. we don't need to talk about the things I thought that I really had to. And it it takes it takes more than just a couple of sessions. And it is something to be yeah. realistic about. And oh, even you... even in these new modalities that we've come out with, with rapid resolution therapy and ART, accelerated resolution therapy, some of those trauma issues can be tapped into in two to three sessions. But what I'm seeing is the maintenance is really important to keep going after. So even if you're hearing about these quick fixes, mm-hmm. as you know, transformation and change, there's there's no there is no real shortcut. Like we might right. have some quicker trauma um, applications, but right. just like our car needs to go in for yeah. oil changes and check-ins and, yeah. you know, I won't pretend to know anything about cars, but <laughs> I know about people <laughs> right. and we need that. We need that baseline. But I, yeah. I would also say an important thing to think about is if you are going to therapy for the first time, don't just take that first opening and then race back to work. Like, right. you know, from working with me, I always try to end sessions, especially if we've had a really big session and mm-hmm. we've done some work. I'm going to ask you, well, what are you doing now? What do you, right. what do you have going on the next hour? Can, yeah. Can you go get that cup of coffee or tea? What's exactly. the closest park that you love? Exactly. Where can you go and let this settle in? Because if right. we race back to work, uh, it's not going to be effective. You don't leave right. the dentist with fluoride and, you know, immediately right. go eat. So we, ha- we have to create space for this right. stuff to, to settle. Exactly. And there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a point with that too. I mean, from my perspective as the client, there yeah. was, I, I would try to get to my sessions early yeah. so that I could sit in the office and just kind of take five minutes and just breathe and listen to the, the white noise machine and kind of get myself into 
this mode of like, no, it's my me time, you know, yeah. and it, that's kind of what it becomes. Yeah. And, you know, I know I respect telehealth. I know it's done a lot, but I really personally enjoy coming into the office because it does give you that that time to yeah. really set aside for you. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're working on. You know, there's so many other factors that are going to come in work, family, relationships, but that time is for you. And then when you do leave, you were very, yeah, I would, I would need my walks or the coffee or the something, just making that time because, you know, not everybody needs therapy. Like you're saying the routine work, not everybody needs it weekly. Not everybody needs it even monthly. There might be some times where you just do mental health checks and that could be after, I mean, everyone is different. And that's kind of the thing with mental health in general. It's not, we've talked about this in the podcast before. It's not like traditional sciences where you can take a, 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 microscope and you can look at a biopsy and you can see what's wrong. You have to do that work in a different way. And in the same way that in mental health, you can't take a prescription until it's finished or for the next 14 days. And then hopefully, you know, your ailment is gone. You, these are things that take work that you don't always see. Exactly. And, and that's why that vetting process is important. Like if I, if I have a client, like say a female reaching out and she wants to un, you know, unpack some really difficult trauma from her background that might involve sexual trauma or abuse. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to work with her in the beginning and say, hey, in the beginning, I, I, I might need to see you more consistently as a safety feature. Right, right. Because if we're going to open this up, mm-hmm. I don't want you lingering out there. So I'm going to check with her, like, what is a safe budget for you? Like, yeah, right. this might be my rate or this might be. But I one thing I have prided myself, I'm getting emotional because my <laughs> business is te- – 10 years old in November is I, I feel that I have always, thank you. He's getting me tissues. <laughs> I feel that I have always wanted to work with people that want to heal. Right. And if someone has come to me and said, so one of the, one of the things I have said to women and men and you know, all clients is that I need you to pick a price point mm-hmm. where you can come consistently yeah. And work with it. But it also needs to reflect a true investment in yourself. 100%. Yeah. You know? And yeah. there has been so many times where the client, the gratitude that's come from that, and then the work, and then the way they show up because mm-hmm. they know I'm flexing a little on where my rate is, and they're flexing a little right. in their budget. Right. You know? Right. And we're both working together to create continuity right. and safety. Exactly. And then we stretch it out. And another spiel I've given for however many years is I want you to not need me. You do. Yes. You said that in the first session. <laughs> <Did I>? yeah. <laughs> and it's such a counterintuitive business model, but it's worked because the truth is it's the hardest part about my relationship is because I pride myself on doing the work myself. Mm-hmm. I want to give you all the good stuff. I right. want you to benefit from all the trainings and the workshops. I right. I want you to have that compass so yeah. that you don't need to come back. Exactly. So even if it's not, you know, rapid therapy, I don't, I want to give you the good stuff so you can go out and live your life. Right. Exactly. You know? And there's, you know, you do touch up too. I think it is important to talk about the cost of therapy because mm-hmm. there, that would be something that might keep people from reaching out. I mean, there are many ways to pay for counseling. I mean, depending on insurance, what your plans might be. Some people might even have that as a benefit through their, their work, their workplace. We talked about that in a previous episode. Um, but like, I did appreciate that when I came in, you know, I, I think I paid you your rate the first time for the initial session. And then you were very honest about it. And you said, I'm giving you permission to be honest with me right now. You know, what is your budget? What can you afford? And what are you thinking? And we came up with a comfortable spot and that's what worked for us. And so it is important because I think sometimes when people think about the cost of counseling, they don't always understand the way that we don't understand businesses that we're not used to, because essentially you are running your own business. And sometimes people might forget that, you know, it's, we don't get a check from the government just for having a clinic that's open. You know, I mean, we still have to pay our marginal costs of keeping our doors open and having the space for you to be able to come into. And that's not counting the cost of the graduate programs, which are pretty expensive and extensive as I'm yes. starting to do my research on that. Oh, I'm like, yeah. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And you, you do, you do bring up a good point. Like as a business owner, when I went into opening my practice, it's as much as it's, a, it's about people, you're right. right. The hard part is I'm also back of the house. I'm payroll, I'm HR. And there were some months I probably should have fired myself or, you know, <laughs> right. but it, 
on the spiritual aspect, I think it, it does even itself out. But there were there have been many hard moments where I I couldn't take them at that price point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I could waitlist them, and I would be honest that I don't have that slot open right now. But right. if it does, I'll. But in the meantime. Let's get you some other referrals. Let's get right. you some books or podcasts to listen to. Let's right. get you something. Some, some, some resource. Yeah. Right. And it is, and you know, and never take it offensively if, you know, your yeah. your therapist is saying, no, I, I can't do that. They're saying that for a reason. And in the same way that a client would be saying to us, you know, maybe I can't afford this rate. And if you're comfortable with a certain price point, sure. a lot of, I think a lot of therapists have that kind of sliding scale from what I understand where yes. you can kind of work it out because, I mean, obviously none of us do this. None of us should do this if we don't want to help people at the end of the day. So we do want to help, but we also have our, and then that's not even counting. I mean, that's just the business. That's not counting our own personal finances as well. So a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, wait, it's, it's how much for counseling, especially if you're paying outright or whatever it might be. And it's, you know, but the work, and I always laughed because I always had a moment in our sessions where I had the aha moment where I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, that was worth the money. Like I <laughs> always, had, I was like, okay, that was, that was worth it. Yeah. Because, but you do, I mean, it did kind of, but it was funny because every time like, she's not going to get the aha moment this time and you would always get yeah. the aha moment. Um, and I think that would kind of parlay into another part of some of the things, you know, I want to talk about because this is about overall, but this is also kind of us going back yeah. and forth and describing what that I'm willing to talk about it, you know, some of the um, activities that we did, you know, because there were a lot of really cool. I brought up in the other um, the one on the workplace. I brought up the five minute rule where you were like, how does five minutes feel um, in the workplace where it feels like it's dragging out and five minutes feels like five hours versus five minutes that feels like five seconds. And that was really one of the first times and then also reading Carl Rogers book that got me to that point where I was like, wait, I really do like talking to people and kind of like what you were saying that same, I, when they, when I have regulars that come back into the bar and I'm like, wait, how was your granddaughter's birthday party or that trip to (laughs) Italy or whatever it might be? And you just kind of go right back into that almost as if time really hadn't passed, even if it's been months that, that memory just comes back. Cause I remember the stories and the people and their faces and being empathetic, you really pick up on a lot of those things. So that was a great exercise. And it really brought me in. That was one of those aha moments where I was like, Oh, there's one of those tools. Yeah. Like she, okay. Like, yeah. And that's, that's a good point too. You're going to counseling, not, not just to stay in the past, right? Like a lot of people say, well, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about all that. Okay. But maybe you're ready to get some new tools in your toolbox to help you with, you know, tomorrow. What, exactly. What, what would just a healthy Thursday look like? Right. Or a Friday, you know? Right. So, yeah, doing exercises, doing different tools. You're, and hopefully your therapist is going to meet you where you are. I Another question I love to ask clients is how do you learn? Mm. You know, do you read? Or do you right. do art? Are you a musician? Do mm-hmm. you, li- you know, would you prefer? How can I get tools to you? So I'm always tracking because I... I can't expect them to have that same pedagogy as me. Like, they're not going to learn how I learn. Exactly. You know, so I want to be able to have my own resources to give people. And you were such a great student. You, mm-hmm. you were writing. You were doing all the things. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're yeah. creative. You're empathic. Mm-hmm. And you're also very self-aware. Thank you. So, you know, you're easy to work with. Oh, yeah. It was fun. <laughs> well, and there was another one. I And it's funny because we will usually, I mean, depending, again, every single client is subjective. So, what my story is, is just me sharing my story. It's not saying that's exactly how it would be for right. another client who would come in. And, you know, there are people who are in psychological distress and yeah. there are people who are maintaining a disorder. There are people who are just doing the mental health checks. There are people yeah. who are doing a first time visit. I mean, your day has to be very you know, interesting when you kind of look at it. If you blocked it out and you saw what each person yeah. was coming in for and that maintenance of a counseling relationship, I mean, you really see a lot of, I'm sure, a broad yeah. spectrum, I should say. I do. I see I see everything. And I think part of my gratitude is starting in such intense trauma settings like refugee resettlement, mm-hmm. um, you know, second responder community mental health. Right. Working at the public defender's office. We used to have a kind of a dark joke. We saw everything except an adjustment disorder. You know, <laughs> right. we didn't have any board housewives. Right. Like, not right. that I, right. that sounds so cliche, but but. Every we we saw a lot of things, and in private practice, yeah, the packaging might look like it's coming in a luxury car, or mm-hmm. I have clients that come on the bus line. Like, yeah, I have everything, right. and I do love the diversity of my clients and yeah. the connection. Um, 
with just seeing all different types of thi- um, problems. And there is that connection of humanizing writing. Right. 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 We're all we're all wanting to be safe. Yeah. And seen. And we're all wanting to have permission to figure out who we are. Exactly. And how do we go out in the world and find purpose? Right. And that's kind of what we touched on earlier, too, was there's every and that's one of the things. The biggest thing I want to get from this podcast is that mental health is for everybody. Yeah. We all have it. We, we talk about yeah. it. You know, our mentality is always working. It's always at work. Yeah. And so just knowing that there are ways and even if you don't think you might need the mental health services or, oh, I don't need to journal or I don't need to do X, Y, and Z. You might not, but there may be areas in your life where you don't understand why certain things keep happening or you don't understand why you constantly feel a certain way or maybe you've just gotten so used to hating your job that you don't know what else is out there. And that's also the tool, that enlightenment, that I think you can really get from mental health. Right. And one other thing just to say to any listeners that might be thinking, oh, well, we're really only talking about people who are employed with benefits or money. There are a lot of community mental health options. Right. And I will say, even though we say they might not be the most vetted therapist, Mm -hmm. we all started there. And I feel like the work I did there at that time was incredibly meaningful. Right. And I had incredible supervisors. Mm -hmm. I'm also, well, previously, not currently because my practice is full, but Open Path Collective is another forum. Mm-hmm. Um, we can ask for scholarships. Like, there's a lot we can do. Yeah. And we have seen the move. I would say COVID's been very instrumental in being a, a good advocate for mental health. Right. We've seen a lot of companies increase their EAP. Their EAP is their employee assistance program. Mm-hmm. A lot of clients I work with will come and say, oh, I work for this company. And I say, oh, great, you have EAP. And they don't even know what that is. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I would say start start with your HR. It's mm-hmm. completely confidential. Right. They have no i they 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 have no access to your charts, your diagnosis. Yeah. You know, yeah. but typically through COVID, we saw them paying for six to eight sessions. Okay. And then we were able to call back and say, hey, they came in because they weren't sleeping, and we were working on insomnia or stress, and now we've uncovered that there's something else going on now maybe now we're working on more of a depressive issue mm-hmm. so they would give us six more sessions okay so gotcha. a lot of a lot of people listening might actually have some right they, they might work, be sitting on them yeah if they work for a company and if they don't i would say there are a lot of things online now there's a lot of these other companies where therapists like myself will register for open path and then we go in a directory of therapists willing to provide so many services at a, a reduced rate. Oh, wow. Well, that's yeah. a great thing to know. I mean, yeah. and that, you know, and that brings up too. I think another kind of reason people may not go into counseling and something you brought up is confidentiality. I don't think people realize how secured your, your, your identity is. Yeah. Um, there's even, you know, there may be times when a counselor has to talk to another counselor, you know, have a, um, a com- like a consultation yeah. essentially. But even in those moments, the names are never given. Even uh, triggers or identifiers may be changed. Right. You know, it, you're just talking in a very subjective or excuse me, in a very objective way about what a situation might be. And if you do need yeah. the help, I mean, if as a counselor, I should say. That's um, right. It's a vault. It's a vault. And it's funny because, you know, we talked about word of mouth earlier. And the irony is your your clients will refer you their friends Right. And so sometimes they will refer to someone who may or may not be your client. And they'll they'll want to include you like, oh, you know, so and so. And I'll say, I, you know, I may or may not know who you're speaking, you know, like yeah, I can't, exactly. I can't, can't confirm discla- or deny right. that, I, yeah. you know, and you kind of have a laugh can't with it. Can't disclose but that. It, it is a, ver- it's a vault, right? Exactly. Like, and I'll explain to clients about even, you know, my other spiel is, you know, we live in a big, big area, but small town. Yes. And yeah. typically if we're out, you know, if, if you know me, then I know you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know me, I don't know you. Exactly. And all clients are different. You know, a lot of my teenager clients, if they see me, they'll run up and hug me and yeah. induce, introduce me to their whole family. Yeah. And other clients yeah. are like giving me the eye, like, look away. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. Yeah. Of and course. that's the thing. Yeah. Because we are, again, therapists yeah. are people. Yeah. So we have our own lives to live. We have our own families, our own friends, our own, oh, yeah. you know. And so, yeah, sometimes those cross those paths will cross, but it's okay yeah. when they do because you're still protected even in those moments. Right. And I think that's something, you know, when you do go into counseling, even if you're somebody who doesn't quite give yourself enough time, I, you know, yeah. you don't give yourself enough because you're stretched thin yeah. between all of the stresses of life. I mean, right. at least, you know, 
when you do go into that session, you're protected. You, you are. are just about your, it's just about you too. I yes. mean, your, your counselor is there to work for you. They are there to help you. And so right. even if you never thought you could maybe trust a stranger, because essentially that's what a counselor is when you go into the room, right. you build that relationship and, you know, you work on the maintenance of that and you see how it goes. And that is why with a lot of what we're talking about, it is important if it's not working to find one that does work for you. Right. And there are a lot of people especially like now that people know what I'm going into that have shared their stories with me. And a lot of people, it takes a couple of times to find a therapist that it, the groove just works. And, you know, just keeping that in mind going forward for people who maybe have thought about it and you've had those sort of moments where you've had to question it, I should say. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point too. And of course for the therapist, it's always funny. Like I can think of one time I was at Ace Hardware and my like, incredibly embarrassing like fluorescent orange running shorts <laughs> getting potting soil like yelling at my daughter and I turn around right. and I'm like oh hi yeah. like, uh, <laughs> hey how's it going moment, right? yeah right like we're human and, right you know right. but it's but, like when you run into a teacher yeah. outside of school right like that feeling like I've had even as a bartender when I see guests outside of work always at Publix right. and never when I'm looking good because it's always laundry day yeah and I'm just oh Right. Yeah, yeah. It's that moment. It's like we're people too. Right. We're like, people we've, too. Got, we've all got our stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, we're kind of, you know, I want to get into just a couple of just questions about your within your career. You know, like what would you say is some of the most profound work you've seen um, when counseling someone? So, oh, gosh, you know, it's such a great topic, but in question. And thank you for wanting to know that. I think yeah. it's beautiful, the transformation. I think when I can see someone being able to live with trauma in their past versus experiencing trauma in their day-to-day life and having to act out and self-sabotage and stay yeah. in shame. Yeah. And, and, and that happens and manifests in a lot of ways. So I'm very empathic and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm medical intuitive, but I definitely embody into it. So mm-hmm. You know, when I I can think of one woman I was working with who had a lot of sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and addiction was the secondary cause of untreated and masking it. And, you know, she was really in a lot of physical pain. She had a lot of gastro Mm -hmm. issues, which is not uncommon when we bury our trauma. It manifests in other ways in the body. It's all connected. Right. So she was on kind of on this track to go have this really invasive surgery. And I said, you know, I know this is this might sound a little woo-woo or out there, but what if we brought your surgeon and your and your gastro specialist into the the conversation? Right. And we got permission. You're still gonna go do your labs, do your tests, you're gonna stay under their care. But what if what if you gave me twelve weeks to work with you mm-hmm. to heal this trauma mm-hmm. and to see what happens before we do the surgery because mm-hmm. this is a type of surgery that would have been life altering for her right for the rest of her life her quality of life would have shifted right, right. young girl smart intelligent beautiful funny you know just right. had all the things going for her mm-hmm. she didn't see those things right she saw trauma you know she, right the trauma yeah. trauma's big yeah yeah and so the surgeon agreed he said i've never been approached like this but i'm mm-hmm. willing to work with you as long as we you know keep her under safe her safety right medically keeping her in where she needs to be absolutely and so we started to do the work because i could really feel sitting with her Mm. that fire that burning i could Mm -hmm. feel all that low um you know if you study chakras down in that sacral she had a lot of pain in her Mm -hmm. and when we started to move some of that you had mentioned the the nlp work that Mm -hmm. i trained in and that trauma work you know she started to get better Wow. She started to walk around with her head up and mm-hmm. her, her labs improved. Oh, really? Her wow. blood got healthier. Her, wow. Her oxygen levels increased and she never ended up having surgery. Wow. That's, and yeah, it's that's pretty amazing. And, and I mean, that's the power. Like people will come in and say, no, this is real. Like, meaning mm-hmm. their pain or their ailment. And, mm-hmm. and I'll say, yes, absolutely. It's real. Mm-hmm. And so is the trauma. Right. It's not right. like the mind, the body's listening to the mind. Mm-hmm. So if the mind is telling the body all day long, I deserve this or, you know, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. What is the body going to do? It's going to produce toxic cells that shut down mm-hmm. that don't know how to heal. Right. So 
I guess, working in that genre. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in all types of work with people. Yeah, yeah. But really being able to get into the core of that somatic body work. Exactly. And move it. And then teach them. They know when that trigger, oh, I'm having that pain. What's, I? yeah, I probably need to still get a medical rule out. However, that's also probably the tell in my body that I've gone back to a traumatic reaction. Right. And where's my self-care? Where's my balance? Maybe I need that check-in appointment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there's always a moment, too. I know I talked about the aha moment, but there's always that feeling when you leave counseling. And it should be when you just like, I mean, even just feel lighter. You just feel when you're, I, I would always think about being in the car and leaving the office and just, because you're right, it's right off of 19, which is stressful, but like yeah. you, <laughs> you get on and even, you know, even just like getting on, I kind of felt like I was in la la land a little bit. Like it yeah. was just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, and especially for those, those sessions where maybe you really did uncover something or you yeah. got a little deeper. Um, I remember you had me write a letter to my younger self, which was such a really moving yeah. exercise. And I just, and it was funny because I like went over that letter so many times in my head and you know because a lot of us have and that's kind of a good point too i think for people who maybe have an idea of what counseling isn't i think there are a lot of times where they think oh you know we always kind of the joke we're going to blame it on our parents or we're going to blame it on our childhood and childhood is a profound developmental time psychologically your your brain where you're where you're going your growth but beyond that i mean it shapes you very much but it's not always about specific things that may or may not have happened to you in a general sense if there is trauma work obviously or if there's a major event or something that you might have to uncover, but it was yeah. really a, it was a really interesting exercise because there were so many things to analyze from that, and there were so many ways to see where my mentality was. I'm sure from your perspective, right? Yeah. It was a great tool, and it was a great little. And it's scary, right? It's scary. Like some of these things almost sound like a little cheesy or corny. Oh, but yeah. then when we sit down to do it, right? what did we do? We went into the body and we mm-hmm. accessed that inner child. Yeah. And we went there. Yeah. We went in. And so coming back out and yeah, narrative therapy is incredibly powerful. Right. You know, and sometimes we'll play around. We'll, we'll write to our past selves. We'll write to our future self, we'll, mm-hmm. you know, and, but that, one of the reasons, I don't know if you remember why I told you to write as well, is when we're talking, we're using one part of our brain, right? Oh, right. We're, it's very liminal. We're, it's just, you know, we're, we're using this one side. Yeah. But the moment I have you write, you are now using left brain, right brain. You're using, you're, it's like a shot of B12 to your neurotransmitters. Yeah. Right? So the neurobiology of what's happening when I'm doing anything, that's why if I have a client that likes to bike or swim or do anything bilateral, mm-hmm. they're going to move through their trauma quicker. Gotcha. And gotcha. you did all those things. You, yeah. You, you went for those walks. You did those things. Mm-hmm. You were doing the bilateral stuff with the writing, with right. the work, which is why you lasted through it. Right. You know? Right. And that's kind of a good parlay into... Uh, that's a good parlay into um, maintaining a counseling relationship because we should point out um, for listeners... this. Our relationship is having moved into the professional realm right. doesn't always happen. And right. we had to do it in a very specific way just because there is a lot. You know, I mean, I knew you as my counselor and I right. knew you um, as somebody who really helped. I mean, I give you a lot of credit Aww. in one of the past episodes. You and did, this oh, one too. Yeah, but you, I'm you saying like, but it was, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't typically ensue. And, but there yeah. was a point where we had to be very honest. It was when I, especially going forward. Yeah knowing that my calling was to be a counselor, that this is where I needed to be. Yeah. I knew, you know, I, I and you kind of described too, you were like, I didn't really need the psychoanalysis. I didn't need some right. deep rooted work that we had to do. I mean, we got there to certain yeah. extents, but it was more coaching essentially. So right. it was, you know, we kind of always had that coaching relationship, but being able to terminate the counseling relationship is always very important. And don't be offended when your counselor does have that conversation with you. I know. Oh, it's, I know. Yeah. It's 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 hard because you hard. always want to be there. But at the same time, if you're terminating it, then it means you've done the work. And it means you've kind of gotten to a point. Right. Right. When we get to the point in session where we're just chit-chatting, <laughs> it's usually, you know, and I've had to have those hard conversations about you know, we'll do check-ins. Okay, we've had this many sessions or this many. You know, I do have some clients I've seen longer term, mm-hmm. but I will say they might have 
um, more significant diagnosis that exactly. requires, like even ha- like you said, having me on the calendar every five to six weeks is mm-hmm. it's kind of like how we drop those pins on our map or yeah, it's it's a mental map, right? It's a mental anchor for them, right? That you know, so so those clients that go longer term, it's not that they're not making progress; it they just might be using the therapeutic process to hold themselves accountable and more of a coaching model at that point. Right, exactly. But yes, excuse me, counseling, good counseling, it has to come to an end at some point. It's bittersweet. It's that double edged sword, right? It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, I had another great therapist, uh, I mean, therapist, uh, professor in grad school that said, you know, as long as you don't cry harder than your client, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) So try to maintain that rule. (laughs) Right. But it is hard because I know you've talked about that. I mean, you do care about your clients. I mean, you have to. We're we're humans, you know, and, you know, we can try to put up the, you know, the trainings to be able to Mm -hmm. make sure you're keeping yourself at a healthy distance, you know, and that's also another, I mean, that's part of the effectiveness of counseling. So, you know, if you do ask your, your counselor a a personal question because you're inquisitive as a client, you know, if they don't answer, there's also a reason to maintain that. So, yeah. The other thing I, I, maybe this is like a caveat, a little plug for therapists. So one of the things I've noticed lately, this new culture of the movement of removing the stigma, going to therapy, mm-hmm. is every therapist that I know that's a friend and colleague is slammed. They're mm-hmm. booked, they're waitlisted. Mm-hmm. And we I ha- as as long as I've been in practice, we haven't had that, right? Right. So right. what I would also say is try not to get discouraged because when we call a doctor's office, they're often like, oh, well, we're we, we're not taking clients for three months or new. Right. We're, we've normalized it in the medical profession to wait. Right. We haven't yet with mental health. With mental health, exactly. And and it's so hard because I've made the mistake of overbooking and then having people, something I said would never happen in my time, but I have. I've had yeah. people fall through the cracks or not get called back in time. Yeah. And we just don't want to operate that way. Right. right? So right. I would say if they're full, they're full for a reason. Right. And they're worth waiting maybe for that slot. Right. But and it is new. It's a new discussion on that. Yeah, right? exactly. And in the meantime, trying to find those those resources, the online references right. to things. I mean, especially if you're in severe distress right. to be able to find those because it is. Yeah, it might be. And at that point, maybe there are different routes, the community. Right. The potentially having to go to a some sort of facilitated area to do the counseling sure. and to get the help. Yeah. Um, there's, and yeah. I was no. going to say in the check-in, right? Like, so, so some of the conversations I've had to develop as this has happened over the last couple of years through COVID is, okay, well, our appointment's not till here, but in the meantime, I want to remind you, go back to the basics. You know, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What, how are you sleeping? What does mm-hmm. your self-care look like? We'll talk. And, you know, that just to give them to start looking proactively Right. Their own landscape. Exactly. What yeah. they can be doing from now till then. Exactly. And sometimes they'll come in and go, oh, I'm so glad you said that because I started right away mm. realizing I needed to go for a walk or I hadn't had any water in two days. And you know, right. something we just need simple resets. Right. Exactly. And wellness should be simple. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Well, I mean, we have been going, we've hit so many <laughs> points and I know this is always like a pressure question, yes. you know, but I mean, as we're kind of wrapping this up, is there anything else you would like to say to any listeners or anything you'd, any finishing thoughts or anything? I just want to thank you, Bradley. Oh, I, I, you know, I think you're incredible. I think you're so courageous in your healing and thank I've watched you, you just Go after your dreams and remove your barriers. Oh, thank you. And it's so, like, I feel like that proud mama (laughs) therapist moment. But I also am so hopeful. Right. Because as I step down, people like you are stepping in. Aw. And I just know you're going to help so many people. Oh, well, okay. All right. (laughs) Here's the tissues. Can we put a joke in here or something? (laughs) Like, my God. And I got to see you on the tiny couch. The tiny couch. Well, we're going to bring back the tiny couch. Okay. Well, I do want to give another big thank you to you, EJ, for being here today. Um, I, again, on a personal level, I could never thank you enough. Um, for all that you have done and for just continuing your work in the mental health field. You know, I mean, I've always said with this podcast, we don't know where this is going to go. I mean, honestly, I I mean, and my (laughs) whole thing with it is if it reaches one person 
or 40,000 or 40 million, at least it helps one person. And I really think from our conversation today, we at least helped one. And that's all that we can ask for. I know somebody out there maybe is going to pick up the phone and they're going to, they're going to make that, that call. And I encourage you to do so. I know that I speak for you when you say that you do as well (laughs) and keep going at it. That's the thing. If, If you don't get in right away, if that relationship with your counselor is not working, just always remember to focus on yourself. Keep that awareness open and to move forward. So I would say um, another also a big thank you to the CoLab Studios uh, for their help, their resources and their staff. And as always, I want to thank each and every listener for tuning in today. My name is Bradley Wink, and this has been an episode of On What Brings You In Today. As always, if you or anyone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call or text 988 or you can go to 988lifeline.org. Thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day.